Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. Today we have a special guest, evolving over the course of more than a decade and using both acrylic and oils in her media, Gwen A.P. That's A period, P period, as in initials. Gwen A.P.'s art aims to explore the boundaries of the human condition and connect to the internal self we often hide to the external world. Gwen most recently presented her work at 2019 Art Basel, Miami, and previously at the Bonaru Music and Arts Festival and the Electric Forest Festival, as well as the collaborations with uh, the Milwaukee Art Museum, Racine Art Museum, and Manitowoc Symphony Orchestra, and many others. Gwen was commissioned to create the original oil-on-canvas paintings for the character of Otis, played by a former guest of the Reasonable Voices, Donal O'Healy, in the 2019 feature film, Impossible Monsters. We're here celebrating her work and the fact that the soundtrack for Impossible Monsters will be released on Tuesday, May 26, this year. Written and directed by Nathan Cotucci, Impossible Dreams had its theatrical release in New York and in Los Angeles on Valentine's Day of this year, and the film was released by Gravitas Ventures on a various video on-demand platforms in North America, in the UK and Australia, and worldwide on Vimeo on March 3, 2020. As I mentioned before, we are uh, celebrating the soundtrack released on Tuesday, May 26, 2020, and it will be available on iTunes, Amazon, and other platforms as well. And our reasonable voice today is the artist who created much of the visual art that takes us through the interior of nightmares, if you will, dream state, semi-reality, and when all else fails, actual reality. Perhaps the flip side of a dream catcher, huh? Exposing where we hide our most devastating secrets in the dark. 
Gwen A.P., artist extraordinaire of Impossible Monsters. Welcome, Gwen. Welcome to The Reasonable Voices. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Hi, Marcello. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's my pleasure, and I'm appreciating your upbeat energy already. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Well, I'm, I'm actually in the studio today uh, and painting, and it's, it's a good vibe, so yes. I'm excited to talk with you. Exactly. Well, that will do it. Are you working in New York or Ohio? Uh, I'm in Ohio right now. I have a studio in downtown Columbus. Okay. How is How are things in general out there in Columbus? Um, I mean, I guess everything's a little bit tricky right now. I haven't been to my studio much uh, lately, you know, with mm -hmm. COVID and everything. Yes. So uh, as an artist, it's it's hard once you break that momentum to kind of find it again or find a new way. Yes. Um, so I, I did some large-scale charcoal sketches in my home, you know, when I was kind of there, and now I'm excited to be able to come back to the studio and throw some paint on the walls. Well, especially if you've been away, I know what you mean, it, because I can hear it in your voice. So, so know <laughs> it is working and good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank oh, you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, may I say, by the way, your paintings are as powerful a character in the film Impossible Monsters as any one of the great actors in the film. And I've, I've interviewed a number of them, oh, and I've seen the film at least six times. And and obviously, <laughs> I'll, I'll say this, because anyone who sees the movie, and I hope if you haven't, you will, you will be struck by Gwen's artistic achievement and accomplishment and contribution to impossible monsters. Uh, well, I, I thank you for those kind words. I, I really felt like monsters and creating those paintings pushed me to a different level in my art. Mm -hmm. And the vision that Nate Catucci had kind of when he approached me was very clear. He knew what he wanted. And it, it was kind of a license to get weird and go someplace that, you know, when you're trying to sell art, make pretty paintings that people can put in their living rooms, you don't really kind of go that deep and that dark. Yes. Um, but it was, oh, I, I, I just, I really enjoyed it. And yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that because, of course, you've answered my first three questions, but that's okay. I love, I love guests who do that. <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you something. Uh, not that either of us is old enough to remember, but one can find it online. When I read how as an artist, you explore the boundaries of the human condition and to connect us to our internal self. Immediately, what came to mind as a kid, I saw it, a film called The Seventh Veil. Again, when I read what your goal is as an artist, I thought of that film. It's, it was about how definitely and indeed violently what we hide from the external world can be life-threatening. And I think your paintings in Impossible Monsters captures what both a foreboding and a foreshadowing of what goes on in the film. Did did other films influence you uh, in, in this approach, or or do you, as you just suggested, it was Impossible Monsters that did that? Um, I mean, I I think it was you know reading the script and understanding, but it was it was things like. You know, Nate talked to me through how he wanted to use shadows in the film, and he likened it to The Shining, like the dark space that mm. kind of gives this feeling that kind of, you know, gnaws at your soul, and whatever your monster is, it kind of brings it to the surface. So it was just a lot of kind of working through that and really thinking about what he was looking for. Um, and the script really helped me understand, you know, that 
kind of feeling of a tortured artist and when you break through something and and suddenly you kind of allow yourself to do this or accept this and it's interesting too because in making monsters I kind of continued making more paintings like that after uh, mm. I sent those pieces to Nate for the film and the first time I showed pieces like that in my studio I realized that some people didn't allow themselves to go there. Some people mm. came in and it was instantly too much and they turned and walked away. And other people came in and their eyes got wide and, and they opened up to me about, you know, deep things that they felt like now was kind of right on the surface and, and it was a safe place to express that. You know, and isn't that what art is all about? Not all art can appeal to everyone, but when you see it, even even if you turn away because it's too much at that moment, still the art and the artist have touched you, and yes. and and if yes. you stay, if if you stay and venture into what can be frightening, I mean, um, mm -hmm. especially with some of what you've created specifically for Impossible Monsters. But that's a great story. I'm so glad to hear that that you've been able to experience that as an artist to see how it impacts on those who who see your work. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting to see, you know, some people ex accept their monsters more than others, and some people, mm. you know, push them down, push them down, and then there is this, you know, kind of explosion factor, because at, at some level, you have to come to terms with, you know, even the things you're most uncomfortable with, and it's how you kind of process that, it's... how you allow yourself to process that. Exactly. That, that letting go starts with facing up to, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I, I wonder, you know, there was one of the things I was going to say, but you've already answered it so beautifully. When we try to connect with that internal self that we keep hidden, we don't always discover our better angels, do we? No, and I think that's that's what allows you to grow, though. Once you face that ugliness and you accept that that's, that was you, and maybe that's a part of you that you can now shed. I, I like to think of it as kind of taking off a cape or shedding a layer. Mm -hmm. You know, once you kind of t come to terms with it or filter it out, you know, you can really take it off of you and you can kind of keep growing and shedding other layers and, you know, continue the process. But I, I think it eats at you if you don't ever kind of come to terms with it. Exactly. And people don't know, don't always realize, they think... And sometimes we do. We bury it so long that that it is hidden from us as well. We don't mm -hmm. remember, but it's there. And little things, it will eat away. You know, I don't want to get into a whole psychoanalysis, although this is a psychological thriller at the very least. At its at its very basic form, Impossible Monsters is that. But it is so much more. By the way, we keep saying Nate. We should say we're talking about Nathan Catucci, the director, producer, writer of Impossible Monsters. A shout out to him. He's been on the show before as well. But did he uh, approach you, or did I know he approached you? You said that earlier, but how did he? I guess is what I'd like to know. Give um, us some more details about that. Yeah, um, I've known Nathan kind of just you know sporadic interactions throughout the years. He's a friend of my husband's brother, so at you know different family gatherings or holiday gatherings, you know, we'd have a few drinks. Um, and then once he wrote Monsters, uh, he was looking for actors and he was looking for someone to do the art. Mm. And um, it's kind of an odd thing to Craigslist or to, you know, kind of do. Um, and I guess he realized that he really wanted art that was unique to the film and that no one had ever seen before and was, yeah. you know, created specifically for the film because the art, 
to me, kind of becomes a character. And I think oh, yes. you likened to that earlier in the conversation. It, it really takes on a presence of its own in the film. So he wanted something unique that was really his vision. So it was, it was kind of just a friend of a friend. He reached out to me and said, hey, Gwen, I've written this script, and I want to make the film, but I, I need an artist to produce the artwork. Uh, here's the script. Give it a read. Let me know if, if you're into it. And once I read the script and the character of Otis, I, I really identified with him in a lot of different ways. Yes. And Nate had a really great vision about the artwork. He wanted the beginning pieces uh, for the beginning of Otis' work to be kind of abstract faces with very bright color palettes in the background. We did uh, Red Man, Blue Girl, Green Boy, uh, and Yellow Face were the primary pieces for the beginning of Otis's collection. And then as the movie progresses and Otis makes more work, it kind of gets creepier and there's more kind of ripping and tearing. And he asked me to look at Jenny Saville. She's a contemporary British artist, Mm -hmm. I believe. And her work's amazing. It's almost so odd that you, you know, it kind of, it's weird, but you can't look away. It's a little bit of a train wreck situation. Yes. But it, it really, it's, it's very real and very honest. And her brushstrokes are beautiful, but she presents the human form in a way that looks kind of strange and grotesque and almost, uh, I don't know, it, it, it tore up my soul. Uh, so Nate, Nathan asked me to make the ending of Otis's work and the finale piece similar to Jenny Savile pieces, which are more realistic, but also uh, a little more aggressive, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Nate made the right choice, and I think you certainly delivered. <laughs> I've seen the film Thank six you. times, and even uh, <laughs> even this morning I put it on just to play, so I would, would have it. I, I didn't want to focus on it except for the scenes that featured your work because I was going to talk to you, but aside from that, I just wanted it to sort of uh, uh, remind me, you know, emotionally and and, and mentally um, of the times that I've seen it and the different things that I experience. Like, I think, as I often say to guests from the film, that it, there are at least three levels going on at any given moment in this film. There is a mm-hmm. reality, a, a, and then there's a reality that we, the audience, impose on the reality, and then there's there's this the the dreams and and or nightmares and then there's a third I never tell <laughs> because, <laughs> because I have figure this, it out for yourself. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. People should see it and, and figure it out for themselves. You say you've done more work like this since working with uh, Nate and Impossible Monsters. How are how is that going? And when you you show it, you 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 did mention something about the different reactions. But how are you feeling about that as an artist or your work? How is it a turning point? Is uh... oh for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I feel like it. You know, before I was just trying to express what I was feeling and trying to find different visual ways to do it, um, and just kind of looking at images online and kind of recreating that and adding color to it. But what once I was pushed to make the paintings for monsters, um, I, I couldn't find reference photos that were what Nathan mm. was asking me to do. Like mm. he asked me to, you know, kind of make it look like a guy's face is blowing off. And if you Google that, there's not usable reference yes. photos. So um, <laughs> I, I used myself and my husband. We kind of took our own photos back and forth with different props like cheese whiz and scrambled eggs and saran wrap, mm. um, kind of playing with, you know, visually trying to get that look that I could then manipulate 
to do these pieces. Nathan also asked me to do them extremely large scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the largeness really adds to the presence yes. of the piece, I think. Yes. So I started getting just large rolls of unstretched canvas, uh, and I used charcoal to sketch with my own reference photos, and none of those things were things that I had done before uh, in my artwork. Mm. And so so now with my collection now, I use all my own reference photos. I do large scale. I use these large reams of unstretched canvas, and I use Gorilla Tape to tape them to the walls in my mm. studio as I work on them. But it was it was just such a different way, and it felt more genuine and more honest and more me when I'm I'm using my own photos and I can think about what I want to say or you know what I want to make the viewer feel, and and really kind of dig deep and get weird with it and realize that it doesn't have to be pretty mm-hmm. to be impactful. Mm-hmm. This is wonderful. I just love it. My wife is an artist, and I and oh, I know when uh, I I never I never go into her studio uninvited. <laughs> You're a smart man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm rarely invited, by the way. But she Aww. she will bring. She does. Uh, I guess just the opposite in terms of size from you. She does these miniature things that are about the size of my hand, and the detail <laughs> is so amazing. But she will bring them up and show them to me at various stages. The fact that I'm trying to write for a living, uh, uh, interrupting me doesn't seem to bother her. But, <laughs> but it it always it's just beautiful. Anyway, all that to say. We're going to take a short break. We are having a marvelous conversation with Gwen A.P., the artist who is responsible for the art and the artistic visuals in the movie Impossible Monsters, directed, produced, and written by Nathan Cattucci. We will be right back. Please stay with us because Gwen is, is really knows how to explain what she does in a way that can move all of us and and not just artistically, not that that isn't a goal in itself, but but she's she's touching something in us that we need to hear more about. Stay with us. We'll be right back with Gwen A.P. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Everyone knows about movie ratings, G, PG, PG-13, R, NC-17. But for the average moviegoer, the Motion Picture Association of America's Ratings Board, which assigns the ratings, is shrouded in mystery. This film is not yet rated, sheds some light on that controversial process. Filmmaker Kirby Dick set out to figure out how the ratings board operates. He interviewed several notable filmmakers whose work had received ratings they perceived as overly harsh. With the help of a private investigator, he gathered intel on the members of the ratings board, demonstrating its members don't fit the guidelines set out by the MPAA itself. Dick even explored the appeals process for lowering a film's rating by submitting a cut of this one and then including in his final cut the footage from those results. This film is not yet rated is equally hilarious, compelling, and infuriating. It's definitely not a family film. The board originally rated it NC-17, but the lengths to which Dick goes in getting to the bottom of how movies receive their ratings are a dynamite watch. His exposure of the system's hypocrisy is instructive and entertaining for both the film lovers and casual moviegoers among us. This film is not yet rated, not in theaters, Discovery Through Rental. 
Hello and welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest today, our reasonable voice today, if you will, is Gwen A.P., an artist who has hit another phase in her career. And it started, it seems, this turn she has suggested from creating the art in the film Impossible Monsters. So she has been working with director, producer, writer Nathan Gutucci, providing the art for his film Impossible Monsters. And we've been talking to her today because, in my opinion, having seen the film several times, her art is indeed as powerful as any character in the film, and indeed is a character in the film, much as Michael McAllister's music is also a character in the film. And those facts alone make it worth our time to see it and and to be moved by, to, to grow by, to face ourselves and the characters as well. The uh, soundtrack of Impossible Monsters is being released on Tuesday, May 26th, so that's coming up fast, as you know. So back to our guest today, Gwen A.P., artist extraordinaire. We've been talking about everything, including life, because what is art if it's not life? It's either reflecting it or changing it or, you know, propelling it forward. Speaking of art, what did you know of of the Goya quote? that appears on screen at the very beginning. Fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. I was so, when I saw that, I went, oh my God, who who found that? Was that Nate? <laughs> yes, that was, that was Nathan, and that was very kind of heavy in his concept uh, of the movie and kind of underlying, I guess, I guess I'd say theme throughout the course of the movie is that kind of, you know, if you don't, approach your demons they become these impossible monsters within you that will tear at your soul and kind of you lose yourself and you kind of give yourself over to your monsters um kind of in that way but yeah that was that was very much part of nathan's vision uh from the beginning you're just going to kick it right off here wow that was that was quite a first question (laughs) (laughs) well i have to say that it 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 gained as because my wife's an artist i've always loved art i'm i'm certainly not a painter of any sort but when i way back when my first uh, summer job was at the federal trade commission in washington dc and those who know that area know that the national art gallery is directly across the street and i spent my lunch hour every day of that summer sitting in one room per day just <laughs> sitting and turning and looking and just and so to be able to speak with someone like you who creates this kind of work it's exciting it's exciting how oh, thank uh, you. i guess i want to understand why it might appeal to you as an artist I think you did touch on this originally, like I said, you answered most of my questions, but I want to dig a little deeper. How did, because I've seen the movie, as I said, six times, and I can understand why it might appeal to an artist making your particular journey, but you weren't making that particular journey at the time. So what what did it touch in you? What did it do? Uh, what happened? Um. Well... Like you said, you've seen the movie six times. I've seen it so many times, and when Nate first sent me the script, I think I read the script like three times in a row all the way through, trying to absorb all of it and just kind of understand it. And it just, I don't know, I guess it... Growing up, I, I had 
an abusive childhood. I lived in different foster homes. It was it was always a struggle. Like nothing ever really came easy. Mm. So I really appreciate the struggle, and I, I appreciate that. Um, you know, art and kind of like the you know the tortured artist, the tortured soul. There's there's something to be said about that fire that kind of burns deep inside of you that you know you don't really have control of, and that you're you're kind of trying to filter and kind of find a way to uh, express. And I felt like the script really spoke to that part of me. Mm. Well, now that there's an enormous piece of honesty. So indeed, it did. It, it it touched that in your life, in you, in your memory, in your past. And look what you did from that. You could have run like some people do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But look what yeah. you created. For heaven's sake, go. Yeah, and it, it gave me, it kind of, I think, I don't know if I've said this to you already, but it, it gave me an excuse to get weird, and it gave me an excuse to push the boundaries, and I think a lot of times when I'm trying to produce sellable art, I don't think about, you know, kind of this dark, ripping and tearing, face-exploding, tortured soul uh, piece that, you know, somebody would want to buy, and I, I feel like once I kind of shed that and shed my preconceptions about what art should be I allowed myself to kind of go deeper and really made make something that felt true to me mm. and monsters was an excuse to do that and and just the whole process of the larger canvas the charcoal making my own reference photos it it was it was a process of growth and it it really felt like you know the next step like I I played you know kind of amateur and now I really had my own concept and mm. had well not my own concept this concept was Nate's but it really really gave me my own voice and allowed me to speak loudly and paint loudly the things that I didn't think were okay to paint or to express before you know I as a director I and I've, I've very often had to say to actors that um and I mention this only because of you keep mentioning the script, which, of course, is logical and makes sense. Obviously, you read the script. In fact, it pulls you in for you to read it three times back to back. Uh, <laughs> speaks well of the script, but of you, too, you know, you, too. But I say to actors, you need to, you need to know that what you bring to this, what I bring to it as a director or you as an actor, is not, is not where it began. It began on a page, and it began on a blank page, and so you you read the script to know what the playwright is thinking and feeling and what he's trying to get you to feel and think and then you find that in yourself and then what we create in the process of rehearsal and preparation is is the baby of all of that so i i mention it because I've never, even though I've certainly made certain that production crew, staff, stage manager, light designer, etc., they all get a script, obviously, when, when I'm working, but I've never quite thought of it, and I'm so glad to hear the way you, what your experience was. You had the script and what you did. Tell me more. I know I'm being greedy on this well, point, but I'm... Yeah, no. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you're wonderful. I mean, you mentioned the creative banter kind of back and forth, and... The soundtrack is obviously a, a very big part of it. I mean, it gives it, you know, another layer of character that really kind of, you know, brings you deeper into the feeling of this movie. And 
I just thought it was very interesting. And for me, uh, the creative banter um, between the actors and specifically Donald O'Healy, who plays Otis, mm. um, I had a chance to interact with him uh, at one point in New York City. We were doing the gallery scene. Um, so I flew in uh, to help with the pieces. And Nathan had asked me to be an extra in the scene, which I, I thought was pretty wonderful. Mm. Um, but I thought it, it was really great throughout the course of the day. Um, I got a chance to speak with Donald and interact with him, and at first he was kind of just sitting in the corner next to my large yellow yes. face painting, and he was listening to music and sketching. Yeah. Um, and then he came over and he asked me, you know, what kind of music do you listen to, and you know, what's your process? Uh, and I really got to kind of talk to him about that, and then as the day progressed, he got more and more into character, mm. and as I would have these little interactions with him, he didn't break character. So, I mean, the character of Otis has this kind of crazy, creepy, dead-eye stare where he yes. looks at you, but he looks through you. Yes. And as the day progressed with Donald, you know, he would talk to me, and I don't even know if he realized he, would doing it, he was doing it, but he would, you know, kind of give me that dead-eye stare and look through me. And it really just, I don't know, it just it added to my excitement about the whole process and it it's it's just so exciting when different areas and different creatives can come together um to kind of work on the same thing and I, I felt like you know my energy was feeding into him and he was feeding into my energy and it was I don't know just a, a really wonderful back and forth and I think Nathan really chose very carefully all of his actors and oh, the yes. music and producers and everybody really adds such a wonderful essence to the movie to give it that final, you know, impossible monsters feeling. I guess we should try and mention that, and you can let me know if I leave out anyone, but uh, because this is an enormous, uh, uh, not, not as in a large cast, but it is a enormously an ensemble piece, <laughs> even though, of course, the film stars Tony Award winner Santino Fantana, who is the star of Broadway's production of Tootsie, directed by a good friend of mine, and Disney's Frozen, Natalie Kinnett, uh, Devika Beze of The Man Who Knew Infinity, Donal, as you're saying, O'Haley, Chris Henry Coffey, Jeffrey Owens from The Cosby Show. And am I leaving out anybody? Layla Robbins of Homeland. Yeah. I, I Forgive me if I've left out anyone, but the point is this, this is one of the finest compliments I've ever gotten as a director goes triple, duple for uh, Nathan in this cast. It starts with the casting, and he has put together such a group of talent in front of the camera, behind the camera, on the canvas, and in the the music score, that it can't help but be the tremendous hit I think it is. Also, you know, I mentioned it's a psychological thriller, but it, we should know a little more maybe about it. Uh, Impossible Monsters, the Dr. Rich Freeman, it's the Fontana, and ambitious and well-liked psychology professor pursuing a sleep study with a focus on nightmares, dreams, and sleep paralysis, which is a real thing, by the way, the success of which would result in a lucrative grant. And of course, there's murder and mayhem and psychological sessions and notebooks recording your nightmares and dreams and detectives and all of that. But you've got to see impossible monsters. Back to you, Gwen. You're in your studio, you said, I think, for the first time in a while? Yeah. How different was that? I mean, when you walk... Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Well, I mean, as an artist, you know, you kind of get in a rhythm with different things. So I spent 
two or three months kind of making a series of five or six pieces that all looked similar and kind of felt very similar. Um, and then having a break um, where I can't go to my studio and I can't, you know, kind of keep that process going. Uh, I stopped painting those pieces. I started sketching something else. It's not quite the same flow. So I don't know, as, a, as an artist, you go through these transitions and sometimes it's just this wave of momentum that happens and then, you know, a catalyst hits and things shift and then you just, you know, kind of ride the next wave. Mm. So I, I feel like it, it kind of goes like that. And, you know, Monsters was a certain wave. And then after that, there was, you know, kind of this huge ripple effect that uh, <clears throat> shook my art in the direction of what I thought I was going in and all of that. So, yeah, I, I think it's just kind of trying to get back into it, kind of giving myself a break and not being too hard on myself for not being terribly productive these last few months with all the chaos and everything going on. But mm. uh, right before I came to the studio this morning, I said to my husband, I'm like, uh, I need you real quick to just do some reference photos with me. Mm -hmm. um, and what that means is he'll follow me into the shower, which has really great lighting above. Um, and I'll just kind of pull up my face and he'll do close up shots uh, that I can then use for my next round of photos. So I guess it feels like, you know, one door opens and then you feel it shut. And then, you know, there's this shift in momentum. And as long as things are going, you know, I try and ride it and push it as far as I can because I, I realize it's temporary and it won't, you know, won't last forever. When the door shuts, is your first instinct to want to turn back and open it or what? Yeah, I mean, I really was pretty upset that I, I you know, felt like I couldn't come to my studio and um, I guess as an artist, it's it's always trying to figure out how you're going to process your feelings and how you're going to kind of filter the world and make art that feels like what's going on now and what you're going through. So, I mean, I think art finds a way. I was at home doing pencil and uh, ink drawings with like neon rainbow, kind of went back to that because that was kind of a safe place. And I know that my fan base likes that type of pieces. But I feel like the, the large-scale paintings in my studio fulfill a need that I have, like, in a different way, you know, to kind of get those monsters out and to be more raw and to just let it go. Mm. Um, and using full-body motions on these large pieces, mm. I mean, some of them are five, six feet tall, so it takes, you wow. know, my whole body and I put all of this energy into it. So I, I feel like at this point I've gotten so used to that that my body kind of physically craves that release and mm. that endorphin rush and and kind of energy flowing out wow. so it's it's hard to work through it but I, I guess you know you hope that you adapt and you kind of go with whatever's whatever's new and whatever you know happens at the moment whatever you can do exactly so Nate put you in as a, as an extra tell me uh, who were you I've seen it so much I I so I I know who you what you look like right <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so the beginning gallery scene mm -hmm. uh, where Otis is first showing his pieces and you're yes. first kind of introduced to the character of Otis it's got that great intro music that yes. like thumps you through the city and then you see Otis at the gallery and then I'm I'm one of the extras in the gallery scene. I've got long blonde hair, and at one point uh, I say Jean Luc, and the pretentious actor who's yeah. giving Otis a hard time comes yes. beckoning to my side. Yes. So. Oh yes, then I know I know exactly who you are. Okay, oh, it was, go ahead. It was it was wonderful though to be able to see the film, see the actors, and kind of just 
appreciate the level of production that goes into that. I mean, I didn't realize how large all the camera equipment is, you know, and all all the moving parts. It was it was really quite quite incredible to just you know have the opportunity to be an extra and be there for you know the filming of that scene. I'm glad you said that because I was feeling terrible that I uh, d- had never thought of what it was like for the an artist like yourself to read the script as I tell actors to do, and you were doing it. So so we both confessed. It's good for the soul. <laughs> you know, and I think also it was very good, and I know you've talked about this, but having interviewed Danal uh, O'Haley, who played the artist Otis, just his personality in the interview, I know what you were describing, and I know his sitting in the corner and sketching. He was becoming Otis, and he wanted everything he could get from you, not just the art on the wall in the scene but from you as the artist did you did you feel that I did and as soon as I realized that you know I really felt honored because you know he you know I was very kind and very warm and just has a very you know uplifting presence and I could tell he was really genuinely interested you know in what I had to offer and what he could get from me so it was it was a it was a very good creative connection and yeah I could tell that and I could feel that and seeing him sketched by my piece and watching him become Otis throughout the course of, I don't know, like a 10, 12 hour day of filming or whatever it was mm. there was really quite, quite an experience. It was made me appreciate uh, actors and the film on the production level at, at such a higher, higher level. Yes. It was good company and you were a good company to them as they were to you, I'm sure. I know it <laughs> because I've seen your work. Speaking of which, toward the end of the, the film, Fantano plays Dr. Rich Freeman visits unannounced, say, let's put it that way, Otis's gallery, his studio. And that is your art as well, yes? Yeah, so that finale scene there when he runs up the stairs into Otis's loft, is he kind of comes upon all of the preliminary sketches that I did leading up to the finale pieces, and it... I mean, when Nate asked me to do this, he wanted a beginning portion of Otis's work and then the end pieces. And the end pieces were a little bit more tricky to make. So I had some trial sketches and basically anything that I'd created working towards that, uh, Nathan asked me to send him. Everything from the used tubes of paints and paintbrushes. And then the way that I put these pieces on the wall, because they're large-scale canvas I taped them on the wall so he used that technique in the film and taped the pieces on the wall of Otis's studio and then as Rich Freeman comes around the corner he sees what is the finale piece and that piece is probably the largest painting that I've ever made Mm. Uh, and Nathan asked me to please basically not show it and not post it on social media because it's the finale piece that adds to you know the end of the movie that I won't give away. Exactly. Um, but that that painting, I was very, very proud of that painting. It's, it's a large piece, and it really pushed me beyond any limits that I thought I had about what I could paint. Mm. Well, that's, I guess that's the greatest compliment you could pay any director, uh, producer, writer. <laughs> Nathan Catucci, my hat's off to you. He was a wonderful guest. He's made an incredible movie. And it includes the incredible work of a lot of artists, actors, composer Michael Allister, and our guest today, Gwen A.P., the artist who did such incredible work 
it not only has changed her life, but it will change yours, I promise you, if you'll just let it. I hate to let go of this artist, and <laughs> I just, but I've got to let her go because we must, we must end the program. But do please see Impossible Monsters, written, directed, and produced by Nathan Cartucci. Marvelous cast, incredible music, beautiful artwork by our guest today, Gwen A.P., the soundtrack of which will be released on Tuesday, May 26th www.impossiblemonsters.com Instagram at Impossible Monsters Movie Facebook at Impossible Monsters Movie and Twitter at iMonsters Movie Quinn? Thank you so much for having me and having an honest conversation I've really appreciated the creative banter and uh, I do hope that your viewers get a chance to see Impossible Monsters uh, and if you do, cheers. I appreciate your support. So thank you so much, Marcello. Okay. How about your website? Um, I am www.gwenap-art.com. Uh, I also am at, at artistgwenap on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and Facebook is gwenap original art. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Gwen, for all that you did for Impossible Monsters and all that your art is going to do for all of us for, you know, forever. How's that? For forever. Well, thank you, Marcella. I appreciate you. Okay. Take care. All the best now. Bye-bye. You too. Cheers. Bye. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. If you run, the beast catches. If you stay, the beast eats. In the City of God, the young learn fast that survival requires both brutality and wit. In the favela, the notorious shanty slum only yards from the tourist beaches of Rio de Janeiro, death comes easily and pointlessly. Societal control is up to the current criminal gang leaders in power, barely beyond childhood themselves. The film is based on an essentially autobiographical novel by Paolo Linz. Rocket, the narrator and moral center of the film, takes a picture of a gang leader that finds its way into a real newspaper. Rocket hides, terrified he will be killed. Instead, the psychopathic gang leader, a child himself, actually enjoys the notoriety. There is a scene in City of God that is remarkably haunting. An older gang member instructs a young recruit to shoot a toddler to prove himself worthy. Faced with a quaking gun, the toddler understands the danger and shrieks in real fear. A child in diapers barely old enough to walk cannot act. This is brutal reality captured on film, inexcusable perhaps, but a sound metaphor for these lives so vividly depicted. Indie Film Minute, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Missing you and us, too. There was little reason for my grandmama to leave her huge farm to go into town a few miles away for groceries, gasoline, farm equipment, overalls, and newspapers. Now I only go back for the funerals and do hear on the breeze what I've missed. I'm not into romanticizing the past. Believing things, for the most part, are always improving. Until G.W. and Cheney, of course. 
as long as what's new doesn't obliterate what's been with what's coming round the bend. I don't miss Mayberry or my slumlord friends on Shelter Island, but I do miss New York City neighborhoods, walking city blocks, and being constantly in rehearsals for something. I miss Gypsy and Heinrich, best and worst watchdogs respectively. Don't miss Dad and Mom so much as it still feels like they're here. But I do miss people who trim their trees back from power lines so when the winds come we keep our A.C. I miss hailing a yellow cab for Carol Channing, strolling Midtown with Colin Dewhurst and chatting with James Whitmore about the next voice you hear. He said I was too young to have seen it, but while other boys my age were outside playing ball, I was watching old movies on TV. Mr. Whitmore was so proud of the fact that he had made the movie with Nancy Reagan before she met Ronnie. But I told him I would never forget what it felt like when God spoke to him on his radio. I miss that. I miss taking time to tune up with morning prayers and reel-to-reel Gregorian chant. I don't miss fast cars and curvy roads, for that's still how I relax. I miss Jimmy Stewart and Harvey, Yul Brenner and the American Original Six, Gregory Peck, whom Mom told, my son is an actor too. I never miss Florida, except when I think of hurricanes 250 miles offshore pinning me against the lifeguard chair, streaking back my hair with beach sand, my lips rimmed like a margarita glass, and the ocean some distance away lapping occasionally at my toes, as a seagull above makes no headway because of headwind. I miss the silence that can only be heard without the din, and I miss people who understand the wisdom in that. I miss Marvine's white boots as much as our drama classes. I miss my voice lessons with Wayne and Ernie, and both the Peabody and Baltimore Opera in the days of George Woodhead and Bill Januzzi, the only man who smoked more cigarettes than my 61-year-old brother, just diagnosed with the lungs of an 80-year-old. I miss him already. For me, missing is more happy memories than sad longing. But I do miss not seeing my best friend Lance Thomas Viney. However, I don't miss the Silver Diner, his favorite dining choice. I do miss my annual trips to Europe, but it was a wonderful career that suspended them, so we make our choices. I miss dates on letters even to find telephone numbers on bills, and I miss sleeping more than five hours a night. But most of all, I miss who we were in the sixties. I miss Abraham, Martin, and John, and Bobby, too. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. 
I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard around the world.